And now, two pigeons bemoaning the fact you can stream DirecTV satellite-free. DirecTV gives you access to apps like Netflix and live sports right next to each other. I don't get it. Let me put it in pigeon terms. It's like that one amazing dumpster with the old fruit and cardboard all in one place. How am I supposed to keep up with illustrative metaphors when you are making me so hungry? Get live TV and streaming apps together without a satellite. Visit directtv.com. Requires high-speed internet-connected Gemini device and separate paid subscription to watch Netflix on DirecTV. Terms and restrictions apply. The Athletic. The Phil Hay Show. Hello there, Dan here from The Phil Hay Show. We've got a bonus episode for you this week. You may have read the article on The Athletic that Phil and David Ornstein did where they sat down with Andrea Ratrizzani, Leeds United's owner. Uh, that happened up at Thorpe Arch just before the season kicked off. Well, here you can hear the audio from that chat. So enjoy this and we'll speak to you later in the week. Andrea, thank you so much for your time. It's an absolute pleasure to be here at Thorpe Arch for me and Phil uh, from The Athletic. We really appreciate your time. Thank you. Um, firstly, it's rare for an owner of any club to speak, so we feel quite privileged. Secondly, you're speaking to us during a transfer window, which is arguably the busiest time for somebody at the top of a Premier League football club. So how are things for you at the moment? Yeah, it's scary because it's even two of you, so no double trouble. And uh, it's a great opportunity, in my view, to uh, take some time to explain uh, about the club decision, the strategy, looking a little bit about the past, but also talk about today, the present, the season uh, that's starting this weekend, and also a little bit about the vision, the future of the club. And uh, I thank you and your platform for giving me the opportunity to spread our message and clear uh, to the many questions that over the year, the past year, uh, the fans uh, has had in their mind. We'll get stuck into them all. I think Phil's going to lead us away. Yeah, like David says, I appreciate you taking the time to do this with us. I wonder if it's best to start with for us to go back to the events of February and the, the decision to sack yeah. Marcelo Bielsen to replace him as, as head coach. Nobody at the club has really spoken about that decision at length so can you explain to us why that was taken and what it was specifically that made you feel that at that stage you, you had to make a change? First of all, I think I, I really seriously, honestly tell you that uh, I never thought before to suck Bielsa ever because uh, he, was, he is a legend, he was a legend for this club for what he achieved for not only the, the result of the promotion, but how it changed and transformed the culture of this club, following really the desire that I had and uh, I think the intuition myself and Victor had to bring him to Leeds, uh, he, he paid back and uh, we achieved amazing results after 17 years of being out of the Premier League. And uh, not only in the pitch, as I said, but in the entire club organization. So I never thought even this moment could ever happen, ever. But during the year, I think the moment that I start to have a doubt and something in my mind was the game at Birmingham, when actually the media was with Draw 3-3. Was it Draw? This is Aston Villa. Yeah, away, away. And I remember that all the media even like uh, talking positive about our performance, my reality for me, it was uh, half time. I wanted almost to leave the stadium because I was disappointed about the the lack of discipline in the pitch and how it was easy to get in and score goals against us. No? And that was the first moment where I realized that maybe something is wrong now and the team probably cannot execute anymore what he, he has been asking for the last years. They start to become tired mentally more than physically. And that was the first moment where I said, 
I need to really think about if it's the right thing to continue or not because uh, it was too easy. It was a game that normally we would have won, and uh, for the way the game was, uh, it, it flowed, uh, it flew. But we draw. Luckily, we were down three-one after being up one-zero. So, and the, the discipline in the pitch and the organization was not right, in my opinion. You wanted to leave the stadium at half-time. Did you consider, in your emotional mind, sacking him there and then? It's time to go no, if we lose no, this no, match. No, no, no. But there was. Very disappointed, and uh, I remember the the one we scored uh, just before the the, the whistle, halftime whistle. I didn't even uh, celebrate and enjoy. I was the only one among all the management that seriously had to stay inside. I was really disappointed for what I was looking in the pitch. So obviously the responsibility is not only the coach; it's also to be shared with the, with the players. But in that moment, I felt something was broken. That's you know when you have a tipping point and you say ah. Maybe something is going in the wrong direction this year. Then uh, it was too soon to take any decision, so I let the time show how we would be reacting. And then when I saw against the top club, obviously the, the top clubs are, have, a, have another level, but I think in a way it was um, the system, the one-to-one -one mark uh, and everything that was asked to the player was not working, but also was putting themselves in a, almost in a, in a situation to be humiliated because I remember some games where it was so easy to score against us and uh, I didn't feel any more comfortable for the players, for the fans, for the club. And uh, at the end, uh, I realized that Marcelo had only one way. He could not compromise with his way. So at the end, this would, could risk uh, to bring a relegation uh, to the club. So I, I could not afford to, to take that risk. And we did take the risk until the very last minute, as you know, but I had to do something. So um, it was about when. I remember that I decided after the game with Manchester United, because uh, a team that normally even there, his team that come back with a fantastic performance of the players and the fans on the stand, come back from 0-2 to 2-2 in a very difficult situation, weather and the stadium, everything. The players show an amazing character and desire to turn it around and they did it. The game was 2-2, around 70 minutes or second half. And 90% of the time in football, when you have this situation, either you win the game or you draw, you never lose it. Even there, it was so easy to come in and score, we lost really badly. So I think I decided that, that after that game, I decided. And then it was about a person I want to change immediately, then I consult with the management and we decide to, because it was Liverpool game, and then Tottenham, we decide to take a, a bit of time. And then both games were also very, very difficult for the players. And then we decide, we change after Tottenham. There had been times previously, albeit short ones, where the, the form performances had dipped a little bit under Marcelo. And he had always found a way to, to bring it back and, and to, to get it under control again. Why did it feel different this time? Why, why didn't you have that same confidence in him? Because I could see the player were arriving in emotionally and physically, they were really at the end. So we need something, we need change, we need something to recompact the group. And um, it was very risky in both ways. Uh, so it was not easy to, to decide to potentially die with him. Or, or die with someone else, which it would be even worse. So, uh, in any case, I will lose. <laughs> Did you think you were going to get relegated if you kept him? Yes. Yes, it, yes, that, yes. That's why it was so important yes. for you to do it. And, and what of the players then? How much did you seek feedback from no, the, the players? The players, they were supporting him. 
the players were, were behind him for more for the legacy of what they done together, how they gone with him. But in the, the, the next day when we arrived here with Jesse Marsh, I never seen the, the atmosphere so changed and so happy among the player and the staff. So something was um, spoiled in, inside and uh, until the moment we changed, it couldn't come out. No, you know, you know, it was tapped in by his presence, but which was a fantastic experience, a fantastic coach, and we will have always legacy with this club. But there was a time, uh, at the end, I have my own opinion about Marcelo that I think is, um, I adore him and uh, it was very hard for me to do with him what I had to do and the way I had to do it. But I tried to do all the time the best for the club. And in that time, I did the best for the club. However, I think what is his strength is also his weakness. Because his strength is the discipline and the one way to work and the system of the football that he has. So he doesn't compromise with anything else than his idea of football. But this strength is also his weakness because uh, the lack of adaptation and flexibility, it took it to, to, to the end. Given the feeling of the players that you mentioned there, that they didn't really realise until they got the new man that something needed lifting, but the feeling at that time, the feeling of the fan base, many of whom to this day are very upset. How hard was it for you to actually tell him? And could you explain to us, you told him face to face, was it emotional? Yeah, yeah, yeah. I told him face to face. It was, uh, you know, it was very different than every meeting I had with him. Every, normally, every meeting with him, it opens to a very long conversation. And in this case, he, I don't know, probably didn't expect if because I was, uh, I, I used and I always support him unconditionally. So uh, maybe I thought that I, if something never would change like that, in my unconditional support. And I saw him probably hard and um, speechless for the first time. Um, but it was very hard for me too. I mean, I mean a, a man which I, I share one of the best days of my life and the best experience in my life and um, a project so unique, so different, so special, like Leeds United back in the Premier League. So it was very difficult as well for me. But I need to prioritize the club and try to be rational. Uh, in every moment I decide for, for the club. Are you going to honour him in any way? Are we going to see statues or tributes? Yes, I'm, I'm happy to... We are sending him a communication. We would like to name the training ground after his name. So Torpach becoming Marcelo Bielsa training ground. And um, I have still an idea for a long time I share with him that one day I would love to build a university of football with his name. So I hope he will still be open for that idea. <laughs> so you, you appoint Jesse Marsh in February. We understand that Victor had been, uh, Victor Otter had been analysing Jesse for a couple of years, a, a long time. Yeah. Why Jesse specifically? What, what was it about Jesse that made you think this is the coach that, that um, we need? I mean, the process was led by Victor Octa, obviously, and he, I think he, he analysed over 40 coaches uh, and uh, to come at the conclusion with a, a few of them shortlisted. And then we have met with a few, and uh, me personally with Victor, and then at the end we we had already in mind uh, um, Jesse uh, for last year. No, then he signed with uh, Leipzig, and uh, we continued with Marcelo. So when uh, when um, during the year, 
when Marcelo was still in charge, we start we kept the communication with uh, with Jesse, and uh, we were thinking about him for for this season. So we, we never thought about changing Marcelo. Then when the crisis, um, let's say. Uh, hit. We have talked to him, and uh, to be honest, I'm very grateful that he took the challenge because it was really a challenge, and uh, he came in the most difficult way, in the most difficult possible way, to come after Marcelo, a man, a legend for this club, and in a difficult situation on the football. So I'm very grateful, and uh, I I love the man. I think this year we'll have time to show me he's a great coach, but the man has already got me completely. That's interesting because he came very close to taking the team down. He didn't get the initial bounce, but then right when it mattered, he kept you in the Premier League. So what do you expect from him this season? Have you got high expectations yeah, of him? Last year he was in his team, so it was more a job that he had done in excellent way in terms of motivation, keeping the group together, keep them focused. And I'm very, very pleased what he delivered. And the courage, he was brave and he has been a leader, absolutely a leader. I think now is his team, so he need to show his football and uh, he need to play a good aggressive football. Maybe will be a bit more vertical than Bielsa, more fast in some, in, not fast the same, but uh, keeping high pressing. So there are similarities with the list of Bielsa, but also we defend differently. We don't defend anymore man to man, so there is um, more flexibility, more scheme, more different options. So we'll, we'll see. I'm very excited to see. But does he need to lead the team up to a higher position in, in your expectation as owner? Can you be having another relegation battle? No, I think, I think last year we end up to be lower in the standing than our possibilities. We had, I remember all in, just in February, we had more than 50, 55 injuries. And uh, every team would be affected when you lose uh, your captain central-half, your centre midfielder, national team player Calvin Phillips for almost all the season and your striker Patrick Bamford at that time national team player for all the season. So when you, you lose the spin of the team, every team will suffer. And more than that, we suffer many other injuries all the year. But I want to, don't want to take this as a justification. I think we impossible we will be at that level. And uh, I think we did extremely well the first year arriving nine. Extremely bad last year, probably the two is in the middle, but I think this year we have, um, in my opinion, done a, a great job in the market and we have a very competitive team. The target I set is between 10 to 14 positions. Then uh, if we are lucky, we are close to 10 or more. If we are not lucky, we are 15, but I think we are in that range. I don't want to have any more heart attack risk uh, uh, as in Brentford. I, w I was going to ask about that because when I took the train down to Brentford for the last game, everybody, all the supporters on the train said, we, we think we're going to be relegated today. They, they all felt that that was coming. Did you fear the worst at that game? In that week building up to it, did you I think was, it was I will share with you a video I have of uh, my day. It's 11 minutes uh, of my day. It's, uh, it's very nice to watch. <laughs> I was stressed, but... All inside. Outside I was calm and uh, I was hopeful. I, it was a very strange day because uh, it was a mix of emotion between hope, fear, uh, during the 90 minutes, I mean. It was uh, a lot of emotion together. No, but I, was, uh, I was confident. I was confident and what honestly made that day one of the best in my life was the opportunity that I stayed close to the players and the coach. And um, I seen a fantastic work done by that day by uh, Jesse. 
in a way he was composed, he was calm and he kept everybody really calm. And uh, when you need to leave that moment, you need to have a calm approach. So uh, I think he did a fantastic job. Also the role of our captains. I mean, Liam as a captain, but Luke Stewart, they were injured, but they were all there in the locker room supporting everybody. This to show how this uh, group is compacted and it's something that we need to protect. The culture we have built in the last year, based on the, on the leadership of these guys, uh, Luke, Liam, Stewart, Adam, all the backbone, the leaders of the team, and now it's growing among other international players like Rodrigo and others that they've joined recently. So this is the, something we need to protect and, the, and this is the key of success that I think we will, uh, will continue to grow as a club. One of the interesting things about Leeds now is the American connection that you have. Obviously, 49ers Enterprises on the board. You have Jesse's head coach. You have a couple of American players as well. So does the club have a concerted plan to reach out more to America? To and be honest, as they would say, a, to try it, and crack that market? I mean, it's a, it's a, it sounds strange, but it's a pure coincidence. <laughs> yeah, it's a pure coincidence. I mean, now we see a massive growth in our audience in America. Obviously, we need to react in terms of marketing and uh, of pitch activities, PR and the merchandising and everything in the US. But to be honest, the way we build this triangle between partner ownership, um, structure, coach and players is a pure coincidence. There was no plan at all. I mean, to be honest, Aronson was a player that we decided to have with Bielsa before we appoint Jesse. Yes, Jesse uh, wanted Tyler Adams, not because America, because he's a very valuable player and he had it with him in, in Leipzig. And we were looking for that characteristic and he's a we look at other players, but he matched very well with Mark Rocca. So it, it's really a pure coincidence. When you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. You mentioned that you feel you've had a really strong market. So Phil's here on a day-to-day -day basis. I have a wider perspective. And the first thing I would think when I hear about Leeds's market is that two of your best players, Calvin Phillips and Rafinha, were sold. And most clubs would want and do everything they can to keep their best players. The team came close to relegation with them in the squad. Calvin was injured a lot of the time. Do you feel that it weakens Leeds United to have sold those two star players? Good question. I think no. I think we are better. We have uh, lost two champions, two big players, but we got six good players. And uh, I think the team needed more solidity, needed more option and needed a bigger squad. So six good players, in my opinion, make a difference rather than two big player. I might be wrong, but this is my conviction and I think the pitch will show it. Also, I would like to summarize what we have done in the three campaign of Premier League on the market. We have invested over £260 million and I think we are among the top uh, clubs in terms of investment in players. This year we invested about 105 which is just below Manchester City and is probably the sixth uh, in the list for what I, uh, I saw recently. I mean, the market is still open, so my might, might change, but this is what happened. And uh, 
and it's the first year in the Premier League we are selling players. So we did three years with it without selling any player, and in the two years before we invested 160 million. So I think the club has committed a lot, even over the capacity and the resources of the club itself. So which means that to make it sustainable, we need to manage and become a destination for player, but in the meantime also be used to sell sometime our, one of the best player and another transition, another new player coming up. That's why we are focusing on investing in youth. Uh, we have uh, just announced yesterday five years contract for Geoffrey Geller, Somerville and, and Greenwood. We have uh, signed uh, Sonny Perksing from um, West Ham. So we bought another talent from Spain last year. So we have a very good youth academy developing talent. And this has to be mixed with uh, the transition and also some player coming in here as a destination. Like uh, what I feel now, I think that these two deals, Rafinha and Phillips, are important not only to give us the opportunity to buy six, uh, but also to be perceived from the other talent player as a destination before to go to a, a big club. And that's what we need to be now, I think. I mean, the fact that you can come here, play two, three years, and go to Real Madrid or Barcelona or Manchester City, for me, is a pride. In this moment, we need to be realistic. We cannot be at that level. It will be wrong to put the players in a cage when they have the talent. I mean, Rafinha is a special player. So, honestly, I think with a good World Cup, can become one of the top 20 players in the world. So, why keep him in the cage? I guess two questions that arise out of that. The first is, in, in the two Premier League seasons, do you think the recruitment has worked well enough? The individual players that you've spent on, has that worked well enough? And also, when it comes to buying players who use Leeds as a stepping stone, is there only a certain amount of time in which the supporters will be able to, to tolerate, I guess, seeing the best players moving on? Over the time, I think we will have to be more better and keeping the players, some players. So this is not forever strategy. So over the time, I think we will be able to keep some of the best players and make them lifetime elites. Honestly, for Calvin Phillips, for example, is a different situation than Rafinha. Calvin Phillips could stay here all his life and become the next captain. I, I didn't want to let him go. He decided to go and it was very clear to me that it was his ambition to play at that level and to go and we let him go. But it was a very friendly conversation, but it wasn't our desire. With Rafinha it was different. More, it was more a sacrifice to buy the players we need to reinforce the squad. Because we cannot do another three years, spend another 100 million and not have income, the club will collapse. So, but over the time, I think in medium long term, we will be able to maintain some of the talent. We don't want to sell all our talent every time. We need to have a good model. I always said the model for me, the best model in the past, I've said many, many times, was Leicester model. So, I think we need to be realistic and in our possibility try to build, but at the same time, sometimes we need to let go someone and bring other new players. Uh, it's, it's not a shame, it's just a, a phase of the club. Obviously, to maintain the best player and continue to grow, we need to be supported financially and we need to structure the team and the club differently, which means also it's linked to the development of the stadium, which is another important area of growth. So our club now is uh, around 205, 210 million revenue. If we develop the stadium to 55, thousand attendance, uh, we could probably reach 260, 270, which will become probably the 8 or to 10 club in the league in terms of revenue. So we have the infrastructure, the city, the, the fans to make this club uh, in the top 10, I think. We, we need to 
work and maintain and have a steady growth uh, step by step to be sustainable and to be healthy as a, as a club, as a company. Uh, it's possible, yes, but it takes time and takes investment and right decision. Sometimes we do mistake. I mean, when you mention about the market, you're right, but there is no club that never that nail or every single player they 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 they, they purchase. Impossible. I think we should um, put a line after three five years and see how many players were successful, how many not, uh, was the performance, and then find a. a a judgment around a period of time because we have cases where maybe they, the performance is, has not been at the level of the investment and we have other cases the opposite. Ilan Meslier is a, is a fantastic example. Pascal Stoic is a fantastic example. So we need to have uh, always a, a judgment of the role. We can judge all the same individual deal. No, that's it. that seems fair. On Rafinha, we've run a, a long article this morning about the basket case that is Barcelona at the moment. Can you give us any insight into what completing that deal was like? Because it sounded incredibly complex yes. and incredibly difficult. As you read, um, Barcelona wasn't in a clear situation to buy players, but they were shopping around, but they were, were not able to to confirm the deals because they, their situation was not clear in financially. So they were uh, very active everywhere with many players in Europe, not only Rafinha, Lewandowski and many others, trying to all the players while they were trying to fix their own problems. And this created a lot of confusion in the market because not having a proper negotiation with the club as supposed to be, because normally the rules is club deal with the club, not with the player. So we couldn't deal with Barcelona because they were not in the position to deal. And we made a deal with Chelsea because the player wanted to go and uh, he was open to listen to offer from Premier League clubs and Chelsea was in his uh, favourable position. But unfortunately then the player, let's say probably Barcelona influence and lobby, uh, convinced the player that uh, to wait, to wait, to wait until they would find a, a solution. And this uh, unfortunately show again the, the power that and the leverage the players and their agent have in the system, which is, I think, for me, exaggerated. It's too much. We, we do a lot of investment to build clubs. Uh, we invest hundreds of millions, but uh, all the power it seems to be on, on agents and representatives of these players. That's interesting. Would you rather have preferred to have done the deal with Chelsea? For me, it was done the deal with Chelsea. I, I, when I have a deal, is my word is a word, and I felt shame to go back to Todd Bowley, the owner of Chelsea, and and change uh, the position. It was uh, really for me disrespectful and not uh, the right thing to do. But uh, I didn't have a choice. And if I could uh, decide to don't sell the player, I would rather prefer that. But I didn't have a choice because uh, for us it was more important to buy six players than keep Rafinha. And you also had Arsenal pushing. There was some vague interest from Tottenham as well. Yeah, yeah. We had uh, honestly we had interest from Tottenham, from Arsenal, from Chelsea, and Barcelona. So all all of these clubs. And and the best deal and the deal we agreed was with Chelsea. The end the deal with came up with Barcelona is uh, pretty much the same uh, for the way we structure at the, at the very end. But it took time. It, it was hard. We had to manage well 
And as I said, I would rather don't sell it, than, <laughs> but uh, I didn't have a choice because we need to buy uh, six players. I'm sorry, but have you ever experienced something like Barcelona and what's happening there? I've never seen it in my career. No, no I, I don't know the behind the scene and uh, where, how they suddenly found the money and how it works. Uh, what is, uh, I don't know, I don't, it's not clear. Are, are you confident that you'll get the money from them? That has been one of the big questions through the summer. You know, can they pay for these players? Look, I tell you the 2nd of September, uh, uh, if not, we will have a global case uh, on all the media in the world about Barcelona, so I don't know. You, you wanted Charles de Kettler, that wasn't a secret. You haven't got yes. de Kettler, he's gone to AC yes. Milan. No, first of all, I, see, I want to say that Victor Horta, the team behind him and, and Jesse and myself, uh, we have done a fantastic job because uh, out of six targets, we got five in only two weeks. So before going to Australia, we had five targets completed. And I don't see any club in Europe that have completed five targets in, in such a short period of time. So we were clear, we moved fast and we bang, we, we closed the deals. The only one that unfortunately, we did everything perfect, uh, uh, including the, deal, the agreement with Bruges. So we had the deal with the, with the club, but not with the player. It was, uh, it was the Charles de Catlar. It was our icing on the cake. It was our plus and uh, special player. And unfortunately, we, we didn't make it. So good luck to him. But honestly, we also were competing with AC Milan. And um, I mean, they won the title, they are in Champions League. The fact that he was watching our documentary, he was 50-50 doubtful about Milan or, 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 or Leeds for a period of time already made me really uh, proud that we are in the right direction, but it wasn't enough. Next time we need to do better. It shows how far you've come. It's also probably painful for you to lose him to your the city where you live. To be honest, I have one regret that I should go, I should have gone maybe 10 days before to Belgium to close the deal. And we, maybe we had the period of time that I knew that Milan was sleeping because of the change of ownership. And uh, I hesitate maybe a week or 10 days more that I should have done a little bit earlier. Interesting. Uh, there'll be many supporters of Leeds United watching this saying, uh, who are we going to get next? Are we still active in the market? Will more players come in before the deadline? Will some players go? We see rumours about Jack Harrison. Look, we are happy at this moment how the squad is. I have a lot of confidence Joffrey Gellar, together with Patrick Bamford, coming back this season. So I am I'm, I'm really relaxed about the team and confident we do well. But we are actively monitoring and discussing with Jesse and, uh, and Victor. We still uh, look at opportunity for an offensive player. Could be a number nine, could be a number nine, ten. We don't know yet exactly, depends on the profile. Also left back because of the injury with, uh, with Junior, but anyway, it's coming back soon. We, we are monitoring, but we don't have to do a deal at any cost. So we are active, but um, Charles de Catra was a special player. So we, we were all in agreement to make a big effort. We offered 40 million euro and we agreed with Bruges 40 million euro. So it was a, an important investment for the future of the club. For the other player, Unless we are really convinced 100% that we improve, if not, we don't, we don't move. I, I suppose that one of the lessons of last season was that if, if you don't have the right resources or the right amount of resources in a, in a position, it can cost you. No, that was, that was yes, pretty no, clear no, last no. season. We have, looking, we have discussed a lot about the uh, next uh, striker. Who we bring? If we bring a young striker, we, uh, we tend to kill the space and the opportunity for Geller. 
which I believe is one of the most talented uh, forward in the country at his age, and his numbers talks. Every time he plays, he has an impact. So I'm very, very hesitant to bring a striker that could kill the time of, of Joffy in the pitch. So it's, it's not an easy decision. On the number 10, we're covered with Aronson, Rodrigo. We see, we see if, it, if we find the right player, and we are convinced we bring him. If not, we wait January or we wait next year, but we'll see. No rush. Do you expect to sell the Jack Harrison and Newcastle no, no, interest? No, 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 absolutely not. Jack is very important. Uh, he has impacted even same level of Rafinha on, on stats. Uh, there's no way uh, Jeff stays here. On stadium development, which you touched on, it's important commercially, but you also have a, a very big waiting list of season ticket holders. So for them, yeah, yeah, yeah. it's important yeah. for them to see the expansion, you know, so they, they can get in the door. Yeah. It's been spoken about a lot. Where is it at at the moment? So it's been spoken about a lot because it's a dream we have since I arrived and since we, we reached the Premier League. At the same time, we need to always look at what is possible and feasible and sustainable. And um, even was our objective, I always said uh, to Angus, we look at the expansion on the new stadium, the renovation, when we are in the third year of Premier League. Why? Because uh, if we go back, I mean, the chances to go back in championships is very high in the first and second year and lower, much lower after. So if we go back in championship, what do we do with the uh, 55,000 uh, and 100 million um, loan for building a 55,000 um, ground stadium? So I think now we are in the moment where we can concretely move on. Angus have initiated some uh, activities to finance the project. It will be over 100 million investment to renovate the West End and, uh, and build it to 55,000 tenders. It's a very important project because um, the stadium is, as you know, is fantastic, but the atmosphere is very old. It's been built over 100 years ago and uh, a lot of problems and facilities are damaged and lack of services, uh, toilets are not adequate. So every year we invest in, in CapEx to modernize a part of the stadium, but obviously it's, it's been done 100 years ago. So, uh, and before me, nobody put any money in the stadium. So we, we are doing step by step. Hopefully we will move uh, sooner with the financial partner to rebuild the, the West End. And it will take two, three years, I think, to, to complete. Obviously, there's been vast investment, increasingly so, from uh, the 49ers Enterprises. Can you tell us what your intentions are for the ownership of this club and if they continue to increase their stake, they're going to become the majority shareholder. <laughs> At the moment, I think there is no need to change that and I'm happy. I'm very happy. I really dream of, to bring this club to, to play in Europe and then I'm happy to leave. <laughs> so um, I still have some work to do here. But to be honest, I, we are very good friends with, uh, with the Niners. They are a, a solid partner. They let me work in peace and uh, they're supportive. So and we became honestly very good friends. So we are in touch continuously. I think even in, in the going in Leeds or even with other clubs in Europe, we will do probably together. And um, I don't know, I don't have an answer to be honest, because in this moment there is no, no, nothing under discussion. We are happy in the way we are and we are fine. They have, as you know, an option to go in majority in, in, in 2024. 
So in that maybe before or, after, or that moment or after something we will be discussed. In this moment we are super happy and, and everything is stable and, and balanced. You, you'll know the English phrase getting cold feet about something. How did last season affect them? And did you sense as relegation was threatening that uh, they... Because I mean going back into the AFL is a big shock to the system. Yeah, it was... Uh, uh, to be honest, yeah, maybe they were more stressed than me. <laughs> Definitely they were more stressed than me. But also I noticed after the season where we met uh, and, we, and uh, we shared the plan for the summer and the market transfer, it was not easy to convince them, explain to them why I want to sell the best player and buy six. You know? So now they got it. I think they got it. And I think they understand that it is the right decision and they are very supportive. I just needed to pick up on American ownership because you mentioned Todd Bowley, who you dealt with in the Rafinha situation. He's been in the news an incredible amount because he's co-owner, chairman and interim sporting director. He is negotiating deals on the front line, having just arrived in the Premier League. What do you make of him and also what's going on at Chelsea at the moment? I love it. I love what he's doing. I told him personally, because um, you, need, you need to be very humble to, uh, with this level, to spend your time to learn a new job. I mean, he could do in many other different ways. He could hire the best football director and he probably will, or he's doing, but he wants to touch him with his hands, first the, the field, understand, make mistakes, learn, and then he will be able to manage the, the business uh, with the other, the, the management and probably the best professional in, in Europe that he can afford to have. So, but I, I appreciate it. I, I think I like the approach a lot. Is he good? You were negotiating with him. Is, is he, so many people are talking about him. What's he like? Is he going to be a success at Chelsea in your view? He will take a little bit of time to learn because uh, Everybody passed from the phase, initial phase to learn. Uh, it's, a, it's a difficult job at the end. It's a group of people to put together and, and fit in a mosaic. And it's not easy and it's not just to buy the, the cards like I did in the first year when I arrived here. You know? And um, so he, he, he will go for this phase and I think he will be successful. Um, I like his approach anyway, uh, in my opinion. I like the, um, what he's bringing to the league because uh, he has an American approach of uh, experience, obviously, in, in his career, in his, in, his, in his life there, where the importance of the league is the, the collective approach to the market. No? And uh, I think for going forward, in my opinion, Chelsea can play a, fun, a very important role in the league itself as a bridge between the 14 clubs and the six. So, in my opinion, thanks to Third entry in the in the Premier League um, shareholder structure, it will facilitate the communication and uh, and find common interest to build a, a, a better business for the Premier League itself. So I I'm positive about the renters because I understand that the collective approach is is successful for both sides. We were talking beforehand about the money that keeps coming into the Premier League, so Chelsea, for example, but also Newcastle, where the, the Saudi investment has come, which kind of begs the question of how well-placed Leeds are to compete in it as the, as the finances just seem to go up and up and up. On the pitch, eh? On the pitch, but clubs commercially as well. Yes, I think we, at this moment, neither myself and the 49ers have the, the capacity or the intention to put that level of money to compete in the top six, in theory. Because then, at the end of the day, we look at how much money has been invested by, by teams, we are in sixth position. And if you check last year and the year before, during COVID, we are still in the same. We are one of the, the, the clubs that invest the most. So, in theory, 
we are far from the capacity of these uh, state control clubs or uh, multi-billionaires club, in theory. In reality, we are investing smartly and we are investing more than many other clubs. So just, I guess, as a, as a final thought, because we, we probably should, should wrap up, what do you need to happen this season to, to make you happy as an owner? And how do you avoid a season like last season affecting your, I guess, enthusiasm or your taste for football club ownership when it is that, you know, it's that on the edge? Yeah, I start from the second one. The, I don't have any doubt that we avoid any situation similar to last year. Impossible. I'm very convinced we're going to be a good season. Why? Because uh, I see the group, the quality of the players. I mean, we bought five of the six players, if I remember well, or four or five, they're national team players. Uh, that adding on other national team players we have, like Llorente or ex-national team player like Rodrigo, and Koch is between in, in very close. Uh, Bamford was in the national team. So I think we have quality in this group. We have quality on the pitch, and we have extremely high quality in terms of moral values and uh, togetherness. So I don't have any doubt that this is no case that we're going to be next, even near the, the relegation zone. In terms of ambition and goal, I would like to see some good football, have fun, enjoy. I think this season should be the season of enjoy. The first season we were surprised, but we didn't enjoy much because there was no fans in the stadium, was COVID, and, and uh, last season was a very difficult season. This year we need enjoyment. <laughs> I just wanted to wrap up with um, a thought towards your fans, because I don't want them looking at this interview and saying, hey, everything's rosy in the garden. Um, do you feel to blame for anything? Do you feel some of their criticism has been fair? And, and how would you like to end this interview in terms of your message to them? To be honest, I suffered a lot uh, last year, the criticism, because it happened the first time in my life uh, that I, I was abused by people, um, literally at the stadium. I remember after Aston Villa game and other circumstances, and I didn't feel I deserved it. I've done always my best, and I put my time, my money, everything I could for the club that I was not born here, it became my club as a part of a project. For me, it's a project, it's a business. I became the first Leeds fan. For 90 minutes, I'm the number one fan. After the 95 minutes of the game, I'm, I'm a manager, I'm an owner, and nothing to do with the fan. So uh, I, I really want to clear this position because um, for me, it's been like this from day one, it will be always like this. I was not born in Leeds and breathing Leeds. I, I became and I breathe Leeds now and I'm proud of that. Uh, but I, it's part of my professional life that now became also my hard life. <laughs> but uh, it, is, uh, it, is, it, is, it has been always like that. But it was very hard to be abused for something that I didn't have responsibility and I did actually all the, the opposite. Uh, but it's part of the game. And uh, I also learned that the one making noise and, uh, and, and being vocal and be uh, abusing and be aggressive are very a small minority. Most of the people love and appreciate what we have done, uh, all of us, not me only, but Victor and Angus and everybody that is putting a lot of effort every day. Uh, this club is amazing. We have amazing people also in, in lower the, the line that they are very loyal and they sacrifice a lot. And, uh, 
we had the NAC mission. I, I, I would like to see many others to take this club from the way it was in 2018 um, uh, out of Cellino. You came here many times, you see the change, the facilities. Uh, they're clean, they're in order, they're modern. Uh, when you came before, I think it was completely different. No, it was, it was, yeah. The pool didn't work, didn't have the water, so uh, the, there was no chef. Now we have two kitchens, one for the academy, one for the play. So everything changed A to Z, and it's not in one day. It's a lot of work, a lot of activities, a lot of investment, uh, finding the right people. So this is not under their eyes. They don't see that. They see only the 90 minutes results. So, uh, but I take that. I, I start to manage the... I don't know which criticism is right, to be honest. <laughs> I can't find it. You maybe have one that you think is right. Well, as I say, I think the, the Bielsa sacking was the, the biggest one of that, but you have explained it today. And thank you for joining us. We really appreciate your time. I hope people enjoy listening to it and good luck for the season. Thank yeah, thank you for your openness as well. It's a privilege and um, we look forward to seeing the reaction. <laughs> the Phil Hay Show. 